God's Word this morning from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. Philippians 3, 12 to 16. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that... Man cannot live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from your lips. So, Lord, thank you for your word that is true food and true bread and true life to us. Lord, would you uh, strengthen us and bless us through the preaching of your word? Would your, uh, the gospel seed take deep root in our hearts and bear much fruit for your glory? Thank you that your word always leads us to Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And be seated. Now, Siva Mudli was a, a popular megachurch pastor in Johannesburg. And his church, the name of his church was called the Miracle Center. And uh, he called himself an apostle. And he taught the, the typical prosperity gospel message, uh, which is something on the lines of that, well, we now, now that we new creations in Christ, then this means that our lives should be lives of victory. It'd be no sickness in, our, in us, uh, that it's possible for us to attain sinless perfection, that we should expect a life just overflowing with, with miracles and success. Um, that there would be, that we would not get sick, uh, that we would essentially have a life full of health, wealth, and happiness, or heaven on earth. And um, he even believed, some of these guys even believe in this guy in particular, that um, if you have enough faith, you're not going to die. Now, in 2021, uh, Siva Mudli got seriously sick and realizing he was about to die, he, he prophesied that though he would die, he would, God would raise him from the dead. So he prophesied his own resurrection from the dead. On the 14th of August, 2021, he died. And because of this prophecy, now this is in the news, you go and check this out. Because of this prophecy, his family decided not to bury him. And instead, they kept his body in the morgue because they were anticipating his imminent resurrection. 
Now, eventually, after two years in the fridge, realizing that nothing was going to happen, the family eventually decided to bury him. Now, as crazy and bizarre as all this sounds, this sort of belief is more common in our context than than you may realize. And actually, these views are, are nothing new. It's not a supposed new revelation that these guys have had um, in, in the recent past. How do we know it's not new? Well, Paul faced very similar heresies in the early church, and particularly here in, in this text in Philippians, you know, these false teachings were prevalent in the Philippian church. And these same heresies, in fact, have, have resurfaced throughout church history. And essentially, it's a belief that, that Christians, it's a form of what we call proto-Gnosticism. It's a belief that, that, that Christians can attain the fullness of their salvation now. That it's possible as Christians to attain perfection this side of eternity. Where you can live with perfect bodies, no sickness, that we're not going to die, that we're going to have all of the promises of heaven right here on earth. Now, on the surface, that, that, that sounds wonderful. It sounds very nice. But as we're going to see, this is actually incredibly destructive. So Paul counters this heresy in the text this morning, and he shows that believers are never going to be perfect this side of eternity. Because the reality is that we still struggle with sin. We are still in the midst of darkness in this world, and, the, and we live in a sin-cursed world. It's just our reality. But at the same time, we are not hopeless. Okay, we live lives in pursuit of our goal, and that goal is Christ himself. So what we're going to see in this text is that because Christ has made us his own, we can press on toward the goal of our salvation. Just two points this morning. First point, already united to Christ. And secondly, striving toward the goal. So first point, already united to Christ. Now, if you were here last week or you listened to the sermon on on the podcast, um, we looked at chapter, the beginning of chapter three. And there we saw Paul confronting the, the Judaizers. And these were Jewish Christians who believed that Gentile Christians had to start obeying the ceremonial Old Testament laws in order to, to be saved. And so these Judaizers, they, they prided themselves in their Jewish ethnicity. They prided themselves in, in their own works righteousness, which Paul called works of the flesh. And we saw Paul calling, you know, even him as a Jew of Jews, calling all that um, works righteousness and his ethnicity, he called that all rubbish in comparison to being found in Christ and clothed in his righteousness and being raised up um, to life with him on the last day. If you, if you missed last week's sermon, I really encourage you to listen to it because it's really an important one, especially in understanding Philippians, but also in the Christian life. So verse 12 starts off our text this morning in the light of these previous verses in the first half of chapter 3, saying, not that I have already obtained this 
or am already perfect. So what is this that Paul is saying that he has not yet obtained? Well, it's referring to the previous section, specifically to verse 11, which we looked at last week, where Paul says that by any means possible, he may obtain the resurrection from the dead. So he's referring then here to glorification, our glorification in Christ on the last day. So he's saying here that he hasn't yet been glorified. He's not yet perfect. And he's saying this because he's aware of false teaching in Philippi. Um, and you know, also prevalent broader than that. And the nature of this false teaching is that they believed that it was possible for believers in Christ to attain perfection this side of eternity, as I said in the introduction. So they saw it as, as part of being um, born again, um, being a new creation in Christ, meant that um, in this life you could become sinless. You, you were righteous within yourself. And um, you could attain what was promised for us in the new creation. You could experience heaven on earth now. And they, they taught even that the resurrection of the dead had already happened. That they were living as glorified um, people on, in this age. And so the, the, the technical term for, for, for this belief is we call over-realized eschatology. A yeah, belief that everything in the future, promised in the future, has already happened for, to us now. Yeah, or what is meant for heaven has been given entirely to us now. And so Paul is, brings clarity to, to this, in the light of this false teaching and so he's saying that while he, he certainly desires to be raised with Christ in, in, in future glory and to experience the fullness of salvation in Christ, right now he knows all too well that he hasn't obtained all of that. Why not? Well, in this age, he still struggles with sin. And that's why in Romans 7, he writes the following, verses 18 to 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now he's describing there our... <laughs> experience our lived experience that we are all too unfortunately familiar with describing this reality that although as new creations as those in Christ though we not no we are no longer under sin's dominion this is very important for us to understand we are no longer slaves to sin okay we no longer just sin we can't help but sin okay no that's in Christ that that's been broken we we have freedom now to resist sin because we belong to Christ. We have freedom to resist temptation, but yet we still wrestle with sin. Even Paul wrestled with sin. The apostle wrestled with, with sin daily. And so what this means is that we're not perfect. 
And we're never going to be perfect this side of eternity. And it's, it's not only because we still wrestle with sin every day that, that, we, that perfection is not here, but our bodies too. Okay, Our bodies are getting frailer and frailer. It's the reality of life here. One day we will die. We, none of us can cheat death here. Okay, we will get sick. We have, obviously all of us have been sick in the past and no doubt we will get sick in the future. It's also regarding our circumstances around here. We, we face trials. Some of us are in the midst of incredible trials right now. Some of us have experienced horrific trials in the past and no doubt we will experience challenges and, and heartbreak in the future. These things are just realities of our sin-cursed world. And the thing is, the, the prosperity gospel and the like would deny that these things are a normal part of, of, of the Christian life. And instead, they, they, they would say that if we do experience those things, well, it just reveals that we, we have a lack of faith, that we haven't quite grasped what it means to be a, a real Christian. And yeah, having been, yeah, having ministered to people who have been sat under that teaching, I can tell you how destructive that is on a person's soul. Because you're put under a yoke of bondage that you were never meant to carry. You put under a yoke of bondage that you're actually meant to be perfect. Where only Jesus is perfect. So it's very destructive. So now despite the sin-cursed reality, Paul continues in verse 12 and he says, But I press on to make it my own. Now, you'll notice throughout this text, Paul invokes, and it's more prevalent in the Greek, because the, language, the, word, the specific words he uses, he borrows from um, the Greek Olympic Games terminology. And but with particular regard to, to running races and, and persevering to, to win these, these marathons and, and races, and so here's an example of, of um, one of these phrases. Um, I press on to make it my own. Okay, that's, that's race language. And so Paul understands the, the reality of the Christian life is that we still struggle in this sin-cursed age, yet we know that this reality is not all there is. In Christ, a future glory awaits us, which is more glorious than we can possibly ever imagine. So how confident can we be that this glory will be ours? Okay, are we not falling into a false assurance? Yeah, an assumption, you know, an unsure assumption that... That this is ours, that and we think, oh no, maybe we may not run the race well, and then we will fall off the bus. So we may not be sure if we will reach the end. Well, the rest of verse twelve tells us that actually, if we in Christ now, we can be 
absolutely confident of finishing the race. And we can have real assurance and because the text says, tells us the reason, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So it's not as if we are alone now in this sin-cursed world, faced with this impossible task to run the race through all the darkness and ups and downs, not quite knowing that we have the possibility to even finish. No. We are assured of finishing this race, of glory with Christ. Why? Because we belong to Christ now. Hey, because he has elected us, because he has, has chosen us, so we are united to him by faith. And how so? Well, even before the creation of the world, God predestined us for salvation. That's what Ephesians 1, chapter 4 tells us. While we were still dead in our sins and trespasses and enemies of God, by his spirit, he called us. And he awakened our dead hearts to life. And he gave us a, a, a new heart and made us into a new creation. Causing us then to have faith in Christ. Forgiving us our sins. Clothing us with his righteousness. Adopting us as his own sons. And uniting us to Christ. And so this is what Paul means here when he says that Christ has made me his own. That by his sovereign power, he saved us. He's united us to him. He's got us. And we've contributed nothing to this. It's just a gift of grace which we receive by faith alone in Christ. And so if Christ has made us his own, and he started this work of salvation in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, then his promise to us is that he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul has already said to us in Philippians 1 verse 6. And so what this means is that we are to, to, to strive to seize the prize at the finish line because Christ has already seized us at the start of the race. And we are certain of victory because Christ already possesses us. And though we will all walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll face all sorts of trials and tribulations and heartbreak and wrestle with sin and temptation. The good news is that because we are already united to Christ, God is with us. In the midst of the darkness, he's sovereignly carrying us through it all and he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. He's sanctifying us and he will cause us to finish the race by the power of the Holy Spirit. This brings us to our second point, striving towards the goal. From verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So again, 
Paul hits out at the false teaching in Philippi that he's emphasizing again, he hasn't made it yet. Okay, he's not perfect. He's still very much a work in progress. And though he's not perfect, though he's not yet glorified in Christ, his eyes are certainly focused on the goal. They focused heavenward. But he, he wants nothing to get in the way of this. That's why he says here, forgetting what lies behind. Now, Paul had a past. And we looked at this last week. I mean, last week we saw his impeccable Jewish credentials. How he prided himself on his own works of, of righteousness. But now, in the light of Christ, he sees just how worthless all those things were. That you saw from Isaiah 64 that before God... Our own righteous works are like dirty rags, or as the Hebrew says, like used menstrual cloths. Yeah, unclean. And even more than that, Paul was an enemy of God before Christ found him. Yeah, he was persecuting the church. He was murdering Christians. I mean, think of ISIS and Hamas. I mean, that kind of deranged zealousness is what Paul had. Going out and organizing the slaughter of Christians. That's what he was doing. Now, if you had a past like that, well, Paul could have spent the rest of his life consumed with guilt and shame. And it's the same for us. We we've, we've all have pasts. We've all done things that we're ashamed about. But if we, in Christ, the good news is, just like Paul, God has shown us incredible grace and mercy that is undeserved. And he's forgiven us our sins. He's washed us clean. He's created in us a new heart that he's clothed us with his own righteousness and now there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus and it's precisely because of that reason why we see here in God's word that this means that now there's no point in dwelling on the past and letting Satan condemn us because of our past actions and this is why Paul says, yeah, forget what lies behind. That's done. Even God has forgotten our sins. That's a wonderful, comforting truth. If we've confessed our sins before the Lord. He removes them from the east as from the west and he forgets them. Instead, take comfort in what Christ has done for you and his great grace and mercy in redeeming you. Now, while we, we certainly find rest in the truth of the gospel, yeah, in, the, in the finished work of Christ and in his grace and mercy toward us, this doesn't mean then that the Christian life is just a life of passivity or that it enables us just to, to live in any way we, we please because we think, oh, well, God's forgiven us anyway, you know, whatever. Okay, forgetting our sinful past, we ought to remain passive in the light of, of, God's, of, of God's forgiveness of our sins in Christ. 
Instead, in, in verse 13, it says we are to strain forward to what lies ahead. Here's more Olympic game race imagery. And perhaps you can even apply it to the, the game last night. Okay, think of the, the Boca and then the last few minutes of the game. Those seconds were counting down and they were putting all their energy and strength to, to try to win that game. To make sure that they could cross the finish line. And it's the same with us. In Christ, in the light of the gospel, we're not to run around aimlessly, sit on our hands... But instead, we call to live actively for him, to strain forward in, in this. If Christ has seized you by his grace, you are not to rest on your laurels. Okay? Instead, you to, we use our lives to bring him glory. Whether it's with your time, with, with your gifts, your imagination, your energy, your your money, use it all for the sake of Christ, to pursue the prize and run toward Christ, fleeing sin and, and the lures of the world with all the strength that you have. Verse 14 continues, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, what exactly is the nature of this goal and the prize of the race which we are running? Is it that we will one day be able to escape this, this sin-cursed world with all its pain and brokenness and tears? Is it that one day we will no longer be entangled with, with sin? Is it that one day we will be able to see our loved ones in heaven? Or is it that we will be able to enjoy the, the best food and the best wine at the wedding feast that God will provide for us? Or is it that we will have beautiful new resurrection bodies complete with six packs and everything? As wonderful as those things are, those things are not the goal. Nor are they the price. And what then is the goal and the prize was well, Christ Jesus himself. And now, united to Christ by faith, we only know him in part. Okay, we, we see, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, we see in a mirror dimly. Okay, we live by faith and not by sight. But on the day of Christ, when he returns and brings us as church into glory with him in the new creation, then and only then will we see his face and know him fully as he is. And on that day, as Revelation 21, 3 to 4 promises, the dwelling place of God will be with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
Brothers and sisters, this is our amazing future hope as those of us in Christ. We haven't yet attained this. We haven't yet arrived, but we live with the promise that one day Christ himself will dwell with us as our God and we his people for all eternity. Our verses 15 to 16 wrap this text up. And they say, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul concludes this section by by saying that a sign of spiritual maturity is to think this way. What way? Well, spiritual maturity is that we regard Christ himself as the goal and our prize. On the other hand, as he's distinguishing this from his opponents, he's having a, a swipe, a backhanded swipe at them. He's saying, okay, their tendency was to think, well, they were the mature ones. They were the ones who have arrived with the secret knowledge of you know, all these glorious things that you know, we've attained perfection now. And he's saying, actually, you're immature. His immaturity is to desire what Christ can give you more than desiring Christ himself. And Martin Luther called this a theology of glory. And he wasn't being complimentary about that. And what a theology of glory is and what Paul is describing here as as spiritual immaturity is a preoccupation with a glory that is removed from Christ. A, A glory that the false teachers at Philippi and the prosperity gospel promises, one of health and wealth and and happiness and sinlessness now. And in contrast to this, Paul lifts up our eyes to Christ for us to desire him above all else. Or what Luther called the theology of the cross. To know him who condescended to us, who became nothing, For our sake, who died on the cross and he rose again for us. Know Christ and him crucified. This is true spiritual maturity. As as verse 16 proclaims, though we run this race in the midst of the sin-cursed world, we hold on to the promise that if we in Christ now, our future victory is certain. And in fact, it's so certain that actually we've attained the promise of the reality already. We have the down payment from the Holy Spirit. We, We taste in this age the reality. And how do we taste it? We taste it through the Word and the Spirit. We taste it when we participate in the Lord's Supper. These means of grace that the Lord has given us to to remind us, to to give us um, a, a little taste of the powers of the age to come, that we can look forward to that, to give us a glimpse of what is to come. And these things are ours through faith in the one who is always faithful. 
So to bring this all together, now no doubt we, we all face and have faced and, and will face many trials and challenges and heartbreaks through, throughout our lives. And life is never easy and, and you know, we experience a lot of pain and that's unfortunately a part of the, the reality of, of the sin-cursed world. And the wonderful promise that we have in Christ is not that these things will all magically go away. It's not that we will magically be perfect and not be sick and you know, be rich and all that in, in, in this age. Okay, we're not promised heaven on earth now. That's a false promise that is always going to lead to disappointment. But instead, the wonderful and real and true promise and true assurance that we do have in Christ is that because he has made us his own, because he has given us a, a down payment of the spirit within us, we can press on toward the goal of our prize, which is Christ and his salvation. He will finish the work that he has began in us and he will cause us to finish the race and cross the line, attain our goal and grab hold of the prize, which is Jesus himself. And that's why Hebrews 12, one to two declares, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, our goal and our prize, the majestic King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is faithful and true, the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He won't let you go. He will complete the work that he has started in you he will bring you across the finish line by hook or by crook where you will be raised with him in eternal glory, beholding his face, he our God, and we his people. Let's pray.